Good morning, Covenant. It is good to be in worship with you. Last week, I returned to work after a glorious three-month sabbatical. I'll be sharing a few sabbatical stories this morning as we continue our sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. We will also be looking for other opportunities in the weeks and months ahead for me to be able to share some sabbatical learnings and reflections, but I sure want to mention to you today that I drank deeply of God's life-giving waters and return to covenant with great enthusiasm for ministry. I also want to be sure to thank you. Thank you deeply. I feel like my words are too small, but to thank you for giving to me the, the blessing of being able to give myself fully to this time. It was a profound three months for me, and I am most grateful to you, Covenant Church. In her memoir, Traveling Mercies, Anne Lamott tells the story of a little seven-year-old girl who gets lost one day in her neighborhood and frightened. She starts kind of running as fast as she can up and down streets. She's looking for any landmark at all to help her to find her way home. Eventually, a policeman sees her and and puts the little seven-year-old girl in his police car, and together they travel up and down the streets until the moment when she sees her church. The little seven-year-old girl then tells him confidently, you can let me out now. This is my church, and I can always find my way home from here. Lamont continues, and this is why I have stayed so close to mine. Because no matter how bad I am feeling, how lost or lonely or frightened, when I see the faces of the people at my church and hear their tawny voices, I can always find my way home. One of the most forming events for me of my understanding of church is my experience of being a part of this Faith community, time and time again, you have helped me to follow Jesus, to choose and to nurture life and to find my way back to the arms of God. It is good to be home. This morning, we continue our teaching series on the fruit of the Spirit. We are spending time this fall looking at nine Christian graces that the Apostle Paul lists in a wonderful passage in the Bible that helps us to determine if we are on the right track and if we are growing. Paul loves lists. You'll see this throughout the New Testament in several of Paul's letters. He provides in Galatians a list of sin and warnings. He calls them works of the flesh, all based on self-centered living. In contrast, we are given the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says these are the things that we should see in our lives because of the presence of the Spirit. Love leads the list naturally, and each fruit of the Spirit that follows is an expression of love, all centered and anchored in the unifying love of Christ. Today, we come to patience. Patience is love in another form. It is a way to express love. Paul does, he intentionally uses the metaphor, deliberately describing fruit as botanical growth to help us to see that the transformation of the spirit 
in what it does in the life of the Christian that it is as gradual as a tomato growing. The fruit of the Spirit will not ripen in our lives overnight. I love the the growth chart. Some of you probably have this in your home, the growth charts that some families have that mark through the years the height and the growth of the children year after year after year. The fruit of the Spirit is a way to measure growth. You typically do not see dramatic growth overnight. Sure, there may be seasons of fast growth, but more often we grow slowly. Growth will happen, but it's gradual. It's easier to see with some distance. Scripture says if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you will grow. It's inevitable. Real faith will eventually grow, but it will take time. Let's remind ourselves, returning to Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithful gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. Let's pray together. Oh God, how I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, that it will all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As we have done every week, let's begin by defining the fruit where we find ourselves. Let's spend a moment defining patience, the general meaning of patience is steadfastness or long-suffering in the face of persecution or annoyance. Commonly, you will hear patience described as forbearance. Patience distance itself from an impulsive act that you may later regret. It's the whole idea of being long-tempered, not short-tempered. Patience takes a long view with others and with yourself, understanding that you are underway. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Paul defines love in a beloved poem found in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul begins by saying love is patient. It's the first word. Love has this restraint around it. Love knows how to wait. The word used for patience is found many times in the New Testament. It's the sense of Patient endurance of wrong without anger or taking revenge. Ephesians 4.2, I beg you, this is Paul speaking, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. As an adjective, it is an attribute of God. Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Frequently in the New Testament, the word patience is used of God and Christ and their attitude toward people, the Lord's infinite patience toward us. At the heart of impatience is the whole idea uh, that things are not going the way we want them to go. 
We feel impatient because someone is not responding the way we think they should. You aren't doing something the way that I think it should be done, and it is bothering me in this moment. There is definitely a correlation between the closer people are to you and impatience. Those closest to us always are the ones who best test our very fragile patience. Recently, I had the experience of living, and this was about a month ago, living in Ireland for 11 days. I was spending time with my college roommate, Vicki, and her husband, Tom. They are missionaries and church planters in Maynooth, Ireland, which is outside of Dublin. One of the goals of my sabbatical was to travel and to, to see what God is doing in other parts of the world outside of my own cultural context. It was a, an important part of my sabbatical time away. And to spend time in conversation with Vicki and Tom, but not only with the two of them, but with their pastor and their neighbors and with their church community. It was also just a, a beautiful time to spend 11 days with my college roommate. When do we ever get to do that again? It was uh, an incredible gift. As you may know, many people in Europe have a washing machine without a dryer. Everyone in Vicky's neighborhood in the town of Maynooth dries their clothes outside, outdoors. A, a lot of the world line dries their laundry. I volunteered to, to do this twice during the 11 days that I was with them. Um, I liked, actually, the practice of of line drying clothes. There was something about that that was a little bit therapeutic for me. The problem is, though, is it rains a lot in Ireland, which for me was crazy making. Our clothes would be almost dry, and then a brief little scattered shower would blow in. The sun would be out, but this little sun, sun rain would happen, and the clothes would go back backwards and have to start, and maybe not to the very beginning, but have to start the drying process again. I thought I was almost finally finished with drying a lot of clothes when all of a sudden I heard the most terrible sound, and I looked up from reading C.S. Lewis only to see a huge deluge of rain pouring outside. The clothes that were on the line were wetter. I didn't even try to go get them. It was raining too hard. They would have been wetter than they were when we pulled them out of the washer. We had totally gone back to the beginning when all of a sudden I let out all of my multi-hour pent-up frustration of waiting for clothes to slowly dry on the line with a very loud no! To which Vicky came running down the stairs to see what was the matter, only to find out that it was raining, which for people in Ireland is not that newsworthy. <laughs> Vicky smiled and said, welcome to Ireland. And then she very casually said, they'll eventually dry. And then she walked back up the stairs to her office. But I wanted them to dry now. I had never invested so much of my time in drying laundry in my life. Waiting is so incredibly challenging for we who live in an instant age of everything. Waiting patiently is not a strong suit in American society. No one likes to wait. 
John Ortberg writes, we are not a patient people. We tend to be in a horn-honking, microwaving, FedEx mailing, fast food eating, express lane shopping hurry. People don't like to wait in traffic, on the phone, in the store, or at the post office. I think waiting is one of the hardest tasks of life. But waiting is a really important part of our faith. Every one of us, at some time in our lives, will have to learn to wait. Some of you are in a very difficult waiting place right now. Creative waiting seems to be a part of the plan of God. When we look at the natural world, when we look at the history of the Israelite nation, in the Old Testament, we see 400 years of slavery, 40 years in the wilderness, a cycle of numerous prophets, judges, and kings that demonstrate God's long-suffering love, all to pave the way for the incarnation. Yet when God decides to fully display the fullness of his love, he decides to be born in a baby. He didn't show up on earth as a fully formed adult ready to get to work. The person upon whom our entire salvation depended had to grow up. Love takes time. There's a terrific documentary and accompanying study guide called Godspeed. Some of you might be familiar with this. A few of our small groups here at Covenant have used it. That is the story of an American pastor, Matt, whose desire to change the world grinds to a halt when he is sent to a Scottish parish. In Godspeed, both Eugene Peterson and N.T. Wright, they address pace and the value of slowing down. And how for many of us in the Western world, it takes all of our lives to learn to go slowly enough. Some years ago, <clears throat> a theologian wrote a book, Three Mile an Hour God. Because walking was the primary mode of transportation for Jesus of Nazareth. Most humans walk roughly three miles an hour, which is a much more human and humane pace. Giving you time to process what you are seeing and to develop a pattern of observation. You actually notice trees and flowers and the people that are right in front of you. You have time to appreciate the beauty of God's world and to contemplate things that really matter, such as how are my relationships? How am I growing? Where am I stuck? How is it with my soul? We don't do this as well without slowing down. It's what we do when we practice Sabbath. It's a pace of life that allows for knowing and being known important because we were made for relationships, made by God, hardwired by God for relationships. Relationships with a holy other and relationships with people. The amount of information, friends, that most of us are bombarded with as we travel 60 miles per hour is more than we can process. So our brains teach themselves not to focus. We have to have time to process. Maybe this is why we get so frustrated with God. 
We want God to do what we think he should do now. We want God to go 60 miles an hour. But as N.T. Wright notes, we see God doing what God is going to do in God's time. Drawing clothes on a clothesline has caused me to consider, what am I doing every once in a while that periodically takes some time? As a counterformation to a culture of impatience, perhaps a way to cultivate and practice patience is to periodically make yourself wait. How might that look for you? My college roommate, Vicki, is more patient now than she was when we were roommates at Auburn. Maybe that has something to do with no longer living with me. The patience has grown in her life. It's been gradual, but it is noticeable. Vicki would attribute this in part to living the past 16 years in Ireland where there exists, as she calls it, a culture of lingering. Life and relationships can always be hurried along. What do we do, though, when we have lost the taste for things that take time? The most remarkable moment, and there were many remarkable moments, of my sabbatical happened a month ago when Vicki and I traveled together from Ireland to a place called Iona. Iona is a ruggedly beautiful island on the western coast of Scotland. It's quite small. It's about uh, a mile in width and a little bit more than three miles in length. It's a small island but with great significance in church history. This reaches way back to the 6th century when a monk called Columba took 12 monks with him from Ireland to Scotland in a boat, a little cut-out rough boat. I don't know how they made it. They made it. They landed on Iona, and they established a monastery. That, in time, became a very successful monastery. And it became the cradle of Christianity for Scotland. Christianity grew, was exported from Iona to Scotland and to many other places. It would be our home for four days, for Vicki and me. And the way we structured our day, because this was a spiritual pilgrimage for us, is we did breakfast together and dinner together, and then in between those two meals, for any of you who have participated in formation cohorts or perhaps gone to a, a Lenten or Advent retreat at Cedar Break for a silent retreat, we did a prolonged retreat of silence between breakfast and dinner. We parted ways from each other. And then we came back together at night and processed with one another our day with the Lord. It was actually a fascinating and awesome thing to, to try on, to do three consecutive days of a retreat of silence where I so clearly heard the voice of the one speak to me about my belovedness. It's what happens when we slow down. Toward the end of the second day, I had had a, a great hike to the southern part of the island. It was time to move toward dinner. I was making my way back, navigating a lot of sheep and a serious wind when I decided to stop briefly at a, a little art gallery that I had noticed the day prior. 
because I was curious if there was any pottery there. I um, was interested in bringing a little piece of pottery back here to the States. So I went in, and I admired the art inspired by the breathtaking beauty and tranquility of Iona. I had the place to myself, and I looked at this original art as very stirring music was playing as I listened to it. As I finished looking at the art, the, the music was dying down. I peeked my, peeked my face in the back room where I had noticed the man who I assumed to be the owner. I thanked him for the opportunity to just behold the, the goodness of this place. And I also made a comment about the be beautiful music that he had been streaming and what a gift it had been to listen to it. He asked if I knew what it was. I said, no. He said, I had been listening to Yo-Yo Ma play Bach on his cello. I learned that the man's name was Gordon, who was a sculptor. He then showed me his, the kiln, and we had a little bit of conversation together. Grateful for the conversation, I felt it was time to go, so I said goodbye to Gordon and then proceeded to turn to leave when all of a sudden Gordon said, do you have a minute? It was one of those minutes for me, one of those moments for me. I know you have those, these times too. I think likely two seconds transpired, but it was one of those times when within those two seconds, I had a whole internal conversation going on inside of myself, wondering how to respond to his question, do you have a minute? I had accomplished what I came to do. I was satisfied and ready to leave. I actually didn't know if I really had a minute, which was just ridiculous. I had flown to another continent and then taken a three-hour rail and then an hour ferry followed by an hour bus ride and another ferry to get to this tiny little island called Iona for pilgrimage, where I found out after I was there that I would have no cell phone reception and no access to the internet. I had nothing but minutes. Yet there was something so conditioned in me that wanted to do what I wanted to do. I think that's called sin. And something so conditioned in me that wanted to keep moving. The product of living in a modern Western world that trains us to move at a chronically fast pace and to be impatient with the things that take time. Like people who are underway and always a work in progress and a way we love them is with patience. I would have missed out on a blessing if I had rushed off because the reason Gordon asked if I had a minute is he wanted to introduce me to two other artists since I liked the music that I had been listening to. He, I probably listened to another 10 minutes of music to child prodigies internationally known, a 9-year-old and 11-year-old accomplished pianist as I continued to look at art and marveled at the gifts that God gives to people. I was convicted then and am continued continue to be haunted by that seemingly innocent question, do you have a minute? Aware that way too often I communicate verbally and non-verbally that I don't. I'm also mindful that do you have a minute is a question God patiently asks of us every day. 
with a longing for us to make our home with Jesus, to intentionally seek the God who is passionately seeking us, who wants to be found and known by us, the outcome of this will be joy. Before saying goodbye to, Gor to Gordon, I asked him if I could take his picture. He really did not want me to take his picture. However, I persevered, and he ultimately relented as I explained that I was planning to buy a, a small little plate and that I would love to have a photo of the one who created it. That made sense to him. He said, I, you want to remember the maker. Yes, I want to remember the maker. To remember the one who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The one who does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. To remember the one who suffers long and bears with us in all of our sinning and rebellion, in all of our apathy and unconcern. He does not draw back when we spurn his love. He is infinitely patient with us and does not give up on us. This is the gift of grace we receive every day. Friends, I encountered the Lord. As my spiritual director, Janet, said, we met together monthly this summer, as she said just two weeks ago, right before the end of my sabbatical, she said, Jill, the, the ground is tilled, it is fertilized, it is composted. Now you have to wait for the fruit. And then she prayed that others would be able to wait for the fruit as well, which is exactly what we do with one another. Because the fruit is not produced by the Christian, the fruit is produced by the Spirit, but it needs time to grow. Friends, we who are aware that we receive patient love from the Lord, we now get to share patient love and reflect that with others. I am mindful and have been reminded many times of late that God's story is a really beautiful story. It's a story that takes time, of which we are privileged to be a part. It's going to be an incredible journey ahead as we follow Jesus wherever we live, work, and, and play, receiving God's patience and sharing that patience with a world that is desperately in need of it for our benefit, for our relationship and our benefit here at church and for the flourishing of God's world. This is the work of patience we are called to do. Let's do it together. Amen. Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, we do not want to miss the life that you set before us each day. Thank you for your patient love, your reckless love with us. We pray for patience for the things that take time, appreciation for all that we have and for our lives to bear much fruit. For the sake of one another and for all creation, we make this prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.